Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. So welcome everyone to the Deep Drinks Podcast. Uh, my name is Dave and I have with me Michael Jones. Michael Jones is the founder and director of Inspiring Philosophy, a non-profit Christian organization with a goal of spreading and defending the gospel of Jesus. Uh, inspiring Philosophy's videos take uh, complex and sometimes niche theories on theology and explain them through a simple and modern lens. That last little bit was, was my explanation. Do you agree, Michael, that you can sometimes do that or...? Yeah, I I think that's yeah. that's fair. Yeah, I think like I've watched some of your most of your videos, and I'm like, man, this guy just like he you, you don't avoid the big problems. You 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 go straight for them, and you go, okay, how can we explain this um, using you know with the Bible? And I love that. Uh, I think it's really good. It's it's a lot more honest than the um, the Kent Hovind types. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, any anything is more honest than Younger's creationism, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> So you're not a young earth creationist, I take it? No, I'm a theistic evolutionist. Okay. Uh, okay, cool. Sorry, just the video cut out for a second there. Cool. Oh, okay. um, and we're also drinking uh, one of your favorite drinks today on the Deep Drinks podcast. What's that? It's scotch. We both got a bottle of Lagerville and 16, which is one of my favorite whiskeys. Um, and so I'll put myself is, a little dram. It's the whiskey of Ron Swanson, so they, you can't go wrong with that. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. It's um, from the from Isla, right in uh, in in Scotland. It's from Isla. Isla. Yeah. I'm told it's Isla, but I've been pronouncing it Isla, and I'm been told that's wrong. So apparently, it's Isla. So my bad, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not. Pronunciation some, is not my thing. I sometimes call, call it Islay. Um, <laughs> um, just to piss everyone off. Uh, so <laughs> b- before we start, start. so in this interview, we're going to go through a bit of Michael's journey, uh, why he believes in God, and then we're going to have a bit of a Q&A where your questions will be answered at the end. Um, and But first, I want to read a quote from a very wise man. And the quote is, you should always go away from a conversation feeling like you've learned something and that you've gotten some new things to talk about. I hope atheists do that with me, and I would like to do that in return. Is that... That's you. <laughs> so, okay. I was like, that's, that's you. <laughs> that's, that's not, wait a minute. I said that. I was like, I was here listening yeah. going, that sounds good. Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was listening to your Q&A uh, in preparation for this. And I was like, wow, that's, a, that's, that's really good. And that's how I like to approach conversations as well. So I hope we can have a great conversation. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, so, Michael, I'd love to learn. You, your videos are heavily on the logical side of things and philosophical side of, of things in Christianity. Your apologetics, um, you, t- you take evolution and you, you get it to actually, well, you show ways it can fit within the Bible's framework and things like that. Um, and But I'd love to know how it all started. Like how you channel? became a Christian. Did you grow... Did you grow up a Christian or did you have like a Pentecostal spiritual moment or... Um, no, I, I can't say I ever had a Pentecostal spiritual moment. I, I've been to a Pentecostal church and I was like, well, that's never happened to me. And I'm not sure if I want it to. So bye. Uh, that was a short experience. I, I was raised in a, in a Christian home, uh, like most Americans were. Uh, I went to a very fundamentalist church growing up. It's now, um, it became, I went through, when I was going there, I was going through the process of it becoming a mega church. So that was an interesting okay. experience, but it was a very much a young earth creationist church, 
very mm-hmm. fundamentalist, very much rapture is coming. Everyone get ready. It's probably going to happen in our lifetime. And the earth is only 6,000 years old. And I also went to public school. And I was learning contradictory things. So I remember as a kid having books on dinosaurs and some books having humans riding dinosaurs and some books having humans talk or dinosaurs lived millions of years and humans have never seen a dinosaur. And I was like, wait a minute, what? So I was aware at a young age there was a conflict kind of happening here. And I I, I think around seventh grade, uh, I remember having like a, a cousin that was very much into evolution and very much had a lot of friends that were atheists in school. And I just slowly started to become a little more agnostic. Uh, I, I got bullied at church. Like I, I got a concussion one time at church for being thrown down the stairs. So I didn't have a good experience of church, but I had a lot of really fun and nice friends that were atheists at my school. So you could kind of see the direction I was being pulled in. Yeah. And I remember like being in church, questioning evolution. And one of like the youth, one of the youth helpers, like a parent, overhearing the conversation and next week he's like, you know, I heard what you were saying and I just wanted to bring you this book. And it was like Ken Ham's book, evolution, the lie. (laughs) And I was like, thanks. So yeah. So then how did I become a Christian for real? It was, it was, it was a long process. It didn't happen overnight. For one thing, I started trying to study the evidence against Christianity. And I, I think maybe it was just fate or just a stroke of luck, but I came across like the early days of the web and a lot of the websites I was coming on was claiming things like Jesus never existed and he was a copy of Horus or of Zeus. Now, the only problem was is I was very big into ancient Greek, Greco-Roman mythology, North mythology. I knew a lot about Egyptian mythology. And I was mm. in high school able to say, this is, this is wrong. Like Horus wasn't resurrected or dead for three. This is just stupid. I so at the time. In, uh, Bill Maher's documentary even. Like he's, yeah. He's yeah that. And you're like, this is wrong. Like, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, but I was seeing it even before Zeitgeist came out. I just was finding these old comic oh, sans. Yeah. yeah. I was finding these old comic sand websites on AOL, like that kind of stuff. And like, so I thought in my, in my youth, I was like, well, this is really bad. Let me try to take a look at the evidence for Christianity. I did have some pretty good parents. Um, I did have some other peers that were kind of saying, hey, check out this guy. Of course, read C.S. Lewis. So I devoured C.S. Lewis. And I think that is when I became back to Christianity. Uh, The only problem is just after that, I was in the military and someone invited me over to watch a debate between Michael Shermer and Ken Hovind. And then because of that debate, I went through a short young earth creationist streak. But then I eventually got out of that. So Mm. I've been I've been all over the place, I guess you could say. So you, that's really interesting to me because my background is um, like, I grew up a Christian and um, my background though is I had a really intense experience at a Pentecostal youth ministry where, you know, like, like people at school called me Captain Christian because of how much I flipped. I went from being the depressed kid to being like, you know, running Bible studies and on on my lunch break and, and, um, and, and, you know, like just giving Bibles out to people and preaching. And I, I I was just obsessed and became so committed. And it was because I had an intense spiritual experience. So to your perspective of Christianity is so foreign to me because I, like a lot of my church would see as like, well, how do you, you've got to have that experience to become a Christian. And I found Mm. it really interesting that you don't have that perspective at all you you were kind of arrived there through a lot of a lot of reading a lot a lot of Mm. debating a lot of uh nights just debating myself uh Mm -hmm. sort of maybe like martin luther style almost 
Uh, not to that extreme, though. I don't think I was talking with the devil or anything, but, did you, you know, it was ever, like. Did you ever nail anything onto a church? No, no. Okay. I thought about it sometimes, but um, <laughs> no, it just, it was, it was a long experience for me. And I, I never had that kind of spiritual experience. And, and I worry about those sometimes too, because uh, of a very, of one verse in the Bible, Jeremiah 17, nine, for the heart is wicked and deceitful above all else who can understand it. A lot of times those spiritual experiences, they give you this great emotional rush, but when it dies and when you sort of, you know, move on from it, what, what do you have? What is, what is your ground built upon? It's, you, you know, you kind of can't have Christianity built on just these emotions mm-hmm. because we know the heart, the emotions of the heart change so much. So I, I'm thankful that I, my, my foundation is more on uh, a, a rational inquiry. There's a lot of studying mm-hmm. and reading. And I feel like that fits more with what I see, how the, uh, the apostles work in the book of Acts. Yeah, sure. Cool. I, um, uh, I, I remember I've had a lot of people ask me, how can you deny the experiences that you've had uh, in church and things like that? And, you know, speaking in tongues or people falling over and passing out and, or miracles and things like that. And um, my, my go-to is always, I, don't, I can't explain those things, but I just don't attach a truth claim. I don't, I don't attach truth to those things anymore. I don't say these things happen, therefore all these things in the denomination, denomination is true. And, that's and I agree with you. Like, I agree with you. That's just, I mean, Mormons tell me the same thing. Like they, like I, well, I remember I was, I live close to a park called Reed Park and Mormon missionaries were walking around talking to people. And they told me the same thing. Like, if you just pray, you'll have an experience of, of Jesus and God and know Mormonism is true. And I'm like, look, man, you want to show me Mormonism is true. It's, it's simple. Show me the evidence of horses and metal weapons in the new age before Europeans showed up. Like, give me something like that. I, that's, I mean, like, I mean, people disagree, but if I've gone through it, a lot it, of the evidence for, yeah, for the New Testament and whatnot. I'm like, I can, I can argue for it. You can't do that with, yeah, them. yeah. If um, if they did show up, right? Like, let's say they uncovered. Are, are you saying like um, horses and metal armor in America before? Is that what you said? That's what yeah. the Book of Mormon so if, if that did show up, yeah. If that did show up, if that just like um, you know, they unearthed it, would you be like, oh, I'm a Mormon now? Like, what? Like, what? Would that convince you of Mormonism? No, but it would be a it would be a step in the right direction. You know, it's like apologetics doesn't win people to Christ, but it clears the grass so you can see clearly. And when it comes yeah. to Mormonism, mm. those weeds are so high up, I can't even look past it to give it a fair hearing at this point because that's part of their case, and they can't get over and they can't they can't present that kind of stuff. There's so many problems with what how America is portrayed in the Book of Mormon that it's just at the point where it's like I can't even. I can't even take it seriously. Like show me the golden plates, please. And then I'll, I'll consider this. Mm. Yeah. But they're such nice people. So, well, I they, mean, they dress, they dress really nicely as well. Yes. They have the under, they have the, ma- the magic underwear and everything. It's, but I mean, that's not, that's not truth. That's just, you can be a very mm. nice, like Moloch worshiper. I mean, that doesn't mean it's true. Well, like you said, a lot of your atheist friends were the nice ones and you were getting thrown down the stairs at church. So, I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. being nice doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, 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 just to add, I wanted to, yeah. it, it was a struggle for me for years. And, and I was like, I, I don't want to be on the side of these bullies, but if this is where the evidence is taking me. I need to try to be fair and open to that. Hmm. So would you like, so would you, I'm just trying to think how to word this. 
so you, you, so you never actually, you never, was, was there ever a moment that you didn't call yourself a Christian in your journey? Of course. Yeah. I would say part of middle school, early parts of high school, definitely that kind of time. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't vocal about it because I'm an introvert and I didn't want the attention and I knew that was going to happen. I, I, I talked to people at church about it. Like people I would like, if I had a one-on-one conversation, I'd bring up going, you know, like, you know, do we really know the earth is, is that young? And like, you know, you know, how come we don't see miracles around us today? And like, you know, that kind of stuff. And why isn't Jesus returned yet? Like, but I mean, I didn't want to like, I wasn't gonna get on a soapbox and like tell the mm. world, especially cause I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want, I knew what would happen if I did that. And, and like, yeah. it would have been like a shock and all, and people would have been like, Oh, it's the end of the world for this kid. You know, it's, I was more mm. private. And I, and so I understand, you know, to some degree what it's like when an atheist comes out to their family and says they're an atheist, because I, I didn't want to do that. No, I wouldn't say I was ever an atheist. I just was agnostic. I thought, I always thought there might be some creator. I just wasn't sure about Christianity for a short time. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting how that word atheist is like, so uh, demonized. Um, what is, what's your perspective on atheists? Well, actually, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to re- reword that because straight away you think of Matt Delahunty screaming at like people on the atheist experience. <laughs> That what, actually wasn't what, what popped in my head, but oh, yeah. what, what popped in what popped into your mind? Uh, I mean, my first thought was honestly decent people. Um, okay, I, at least who I've experienced. I don't, I don't come across a lot of like hardcore atheists that you see like on that kind of like mentality. What you're getting at? I mean, most I work my my job before I was doing my channel full time. I was like the only Christian there, and my boss was an atheist, and all my coworkers were atheists, and we get along just fine. Like, it wasn't like, you know, like they just didn't want to talk about religion. Okay, fine. I'm not going to bring it up because you made it pretty clear not to talk about it. So, and just let's move on. Yeah. Um, except for when they were eating babies. And that's something, obviously. <laughs> well, um, I mean, the, the ribs are great. I, the, the baby yeah, back ribs. Delicious. Exactly. Um, I do actually want to. Uh, I, I do want to talk to you one time about. Um, I heard you made made some remarks about um, vegetarianism or veganism. I'd love to oh. chat to you about that one time. Um, not that it's in balance to anything, but it's. Uh, I just think we could have a cool back and forth with that because it's always a topic that's so that's uh, spicy. Excuse the pun. Um, it's Are fun. you a vegan? Uh, I'm a vegetarian, but I, but oh, okay. but. I think that's worse. Like, I think that's, that's anyway, we'll go, I think that's worse than the average <laughs> omnivore because I've like taken the time to investigate and go, this is wrong. I'll still like cheese though. So I think it's, I think it's really, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's just, I think it's worse. So yeah. it's not coming from a place of self righteousness or anything, but it's an interesting conversation. Um, so have you ever had, you've never had a spiritual experience or would you classify praying in your room? And do you believe you have a relationship with Jesus? I mean, right. Yeah. I, I don't know how I would verify that. Like, I mean, like, you know, it's, it's like, like what, what, what am I supposed to say beyond things like that? Maybe I may have personally felt God like working in my life or mm-hmm. revealing things to me or like there, there, there's nothing I can really say about that. Cause a, it's personal B it's not what I base my faith on and it's not what I should base my faith on. And there, there's no way I could ever really prove that it's not just like, wishful thinking or mm. uh, my own internal monologue. Um, mm. So, I mean, I don't worry about that kind of stuff. I mean, m- my foundation of, of my faith is not going to be that kind of spiritual experience or giving that emotional feeling, even if they may happen at times. 
like there, there are times in my life where I feel like I felt God's presence or I just, I've heard the right worship song and I just, it just really moved me or made my, the hair on my arm stand up. But I mean, that's between me and God. And that's not something I could really speak more on. If that makes sense. So are you, so are you kind of in the camp? I mean, I don't want you to be blaspheming the Holy spirit or anything, but do you, do you think that those things could possibly be psychological in nature and just like a deep love for God or something like that, that gives you those, those feelings and those feelings may not necessarily be um, something spiritual or do you think that everything is spiritual? Well, in a sense, I'm an idealist. So yeah, I think in some sense, everything is spiritual or mental. Uh, that That's more ontological sense, but I mean, it could just be psychological. I could just be like, this is my worldview and I'm going to interpret things through my worldview because everybody does that uh, and mm-hmm. just trying to work through that. But I mean, at the end of the day, I don't really worry too much about that because I, I don't dwell on that. I dwell on the research I'm doing or the videos I'm making or the conversations I'm having. That's mostly what I tend to focus on. Cool. And just to shout out your channel, um, Christian, atheist, um, Muslim, anyone should go check them out. They're really, the production value is insane. And you've got subjects on like almost anything, right? Um, what's your favorite video? Or the video My favorite video is the one I just posted because I just oh, love yeah. how that, that came together. The the origins of young earth creationism because yeah. uh, I, 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 I had a donor volunteer to start helping me edit. And we've, I've just been able to hire him and he put together this entire video. Like I wrote, researched, recorded it, and he made all the video for it. It just came out phenomenal. Okay. I was going to ask that is because the, the animations are a little different to your other um, videos and they're great. It's phenomenal. I mean, your other stuff is amazing too. We're we're going to try to do more videos like this, but it's, it's very time consuming. So not every video can be like that. Yeah, exactly. No, it was awesome. Um, So, I've had uh, I've had people talk to me and say that um, you know they 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 ask me you know why don't you just pray and ask God for the answers or they ask me um, it seems like your perspective on God is quite logical and you're never going to find an answer in logic is what they'll say to me I've had uh, people stop me at my wife's um, Christmas party and um, and show me evidence of people getting out of wheelchairs in um, on their phones uh, you know in Kenya or somewhere. And says, "How can you deny this?" And you know, we we went to a discussion, and at the end, they said, "You're never going to find answers logically. Um, you you have to find them um, spiritually. You have to get answers from God." What do you, what's your perspective on the perspective of let's say we didn't have logic and reason, um, or or you couldn't use that to justify your faith? What's your perspective on hearing from God, or um, I guess uh, being led by God? I mean, I, I don't, I don't even know how to answer that because I don't, I don't agree with that mentality. I mean, if we don't have logic and reason, you don't have answers. That's how you get to answers. It's not mm-hmm. from emotions or wishful thinking or searching your heart, which is deceitful and lying to you all the time. So I, you know, when people tell you that, I'm just like, I, I would, if I would, my, my first thought was I would want to tell them to shut the hell up because what are, you, what are you talking about? You don't get answers through reason. That's literally what reasoning is meant to do, to get you to answers. Mm. Like, wh- why well, would you push, even? Just, just to push back on that, a lot of people in my denomination, my Pentecostal denomination I used to go to, I used to be a youth pastor actually, would say that people have like spiritual blinders on or they have the spirit of Jezebel sitting on their shoulders or they would have, uh, remember when Paul was blind for three days? they would mm-hmm. consider that like a spiritual thing. And they would say that, um, 
you know, people have the spiritual blinders and you cannot get through to them. They need a spiritual breakthrough to break that, that uh, perspective. I, I just, so I just recently was reading a book by Jonathan Joshua May on moral reasoning. And he was replying to a lot of uh, people like Jonathan Haidt who argue that all of our moral reasoning comes from emotions. And he's arguing, well, yeah, emotions play a role in our moral reasoning, but so does logic and reasoning. And, and you know, it's a mix of those things. And, I, I don't see how you could get through to people like with that, uh, if there's even a chance, without reasoning with them. I mean, this is what Isaiah does in the opening chapters of the book of Isaiah. Come, let us reason together. Jesus in Matthew 6 is like, look, if you're worried, if your father cares for you, don't don't just believe in your heart and have a magical experience and wait for the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. He says, consider the lilies of the field. Consider the birds of the air. Now reason with me. God is going to take care of them when he take care of you. Acts 17, the barons were more righteous because they searched the scriptures to verify Paul was right. Paul in his letters is trying to get people to reason over and over again. Hey, Corinthians, you said this. Think about this, though. Have you thought about this? Reason with me here on this. I mean, you got to reason with people, and that's through the Bible. Sure, there, there is an aspect where maybe some people are so set in their ways. And this is, this is human nature. It happens on all sides. People are so set in their ways that nothing is ever going to convince them. I mean, take take people like uh, Aaron Raw and Ken Hoven. I mean, they're two peas in a pod. You're never going to convince them they're wrong on anything. Uh, you know, and like I said, I've seen atheists go after Aaron Raw for this, and I've seen Christians go like myself go after Ken Hoven for this. We acknowledge that some people are just like that. But if there are those people kind of more in the middle, how else are you going to try to talk to them but reason with them and get them to think about new perspectives and try to get them to be open to new ideas? I mean, that that's literally what the new testament is doing over and over again but what about when paul says in 1 corinthians 4 verse 3 just feel it bro one what is it <laughs> i'm kidding well, oh okay i was like wait are you are you paraphrasing and i was like wait a minute let me red check the reference on this so, yeah no you don't concordance. i just will feel it bro you got any questions? Just feel it, bro. Um, sorry, I do have a, an, an, an Aussie, a dry Aussie sense of humor, and uh, well, I've been drinking a little bit of whiskey. So, and I and I had a little a little pre drink as well, even though it's eleven thirty in the morning here, um, because I was um, I wanted to make sure I was relaxed and ready to jam in this interview. Um, so yeah, sorry for my humor. Um, so I, I did want to talk about though. So we've talked a lot about the logical and philosophical sides of like that's that's essentially why you believe. Like no booming voice from heaven is going to change. Like the logic has to work for you. Is that correct? Like it's not gonna. You're not gonna one day just start crying and then realize all this logic and philosophy was wrong. You, you'd have to arrive at. You'd have to. You know. You'd have to. The logic would have to work. It'd have to be internally consistent. Or, well, I mean, if I, if I heard a booming voice from heaven, I would think logically about that. I mean, okay, here I'm actually hearing a voice. What is it saying? Uh, how is it yeah. going to affect my experience and the evidence personal for me? I mean, I, I just – I don't understand how you could not think like that. Mm-hmm. It just, maybe it's just the way I'm wired. I just feel like – you know, I'm never just going to be like, oh, I just really want, you know, this this mysterious thing to be true. And I don't really have to think about it beyond that. I, I, I can't help but think about it. So my wife says sometimes I got a woman's brain because I think too much. Yeah, it's interesting because <laughs> um, I, I know people the exact opposite to you where you can, you go like one plus one equals four and they're like, yeah, but it feels like five and, you, and you're like, oh man, you like it, yeah. I just, <laughs> are they even human? Like it just, that, yeah, yeah. I, I can't even understand how that works in their head. I, I can't even get there. Mm. 
And I think that we're a bit more on the same page with that um, and when it come, comes to that because I, I don't understand it either, but it works for a lot of people and a lot of people will be saying the same things to us like, I don't know why you're thinking about this stuff so much and I, I guess um, we're all different and we're all special, I guess. <laughs> special little sunflowers. Um, <laughs> so the next uh, the next section before we get into the Q&A is I'd like to actually go through your um, why you believe in God, like what evidence that you do have. And when we spoke over Twitter, uh, uh, messaging back and forth, um, you said there were two things. You said there was a logical side um, of things that get you to a creator. So get you to like there is a creator of the universe or there is a God. And then after you've fixed that problem, you move on to and therefore Christianity is that God? Like, so you have two parts of it. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, they're intertwined because I don't think yeah. reasoning happens without emotion or, or reason. Uh, we're always as humans weighing and using both aspects. But I mean, the way I sort of get there is a cumulative case. I mean, for one, I, I start with what evidence do we have for God, God's existence? Well, I mean, there, you don't really, it's about comparing worldviews. It's about comparing naturalism to theism, which is going to have, which is going to explain far more with less. So which mm-hmm. worldview as a whole is going to have more explanatory scope, explanatory power, more plausibility is going to be the least ad hoc. And when I th- see things like cosmological arguments, teleological, moral arguments, arguments from consciousness, the, the stuff I've been using uh, for digital physics and that kind of stuff, I just think theism is more parsimonious. It's simpler. It explains far more with less it doesn't have all these open-ended questions. It doesn't have different explanations for different aspects. It can explain it all with one simple thing, namely that there is a personal force behind the universe. Then, so, I mean, even if you could deconvert me from Christianity, I would still be a theist. Like, I, I just feel like there's a lot of good evidence in that direction. And, and when you read, the, you know, debates between like, or, you know, competing arguments between people like the atheist Graham Oppie or Richard Swinburne, I think Richard Swinburne comes out on top with the simplicity of his worldview. So then it's like, okay, well... If there is a moral God, if there is a all-loving God, he would have likely revealed himself to us. What is the most likely religion out there that's going to have the most evidence? And so, again, there is another cumulative case. I'm not gonna, I'm not a minimal facts guy when it comes to the resurrection. I want to know there's good evidence to support Old Testament. I want to know there's good evidence to support New Testament and the reliability of the New Testament. Then it's building up facts from there, like – for the resurrection. I mean, that's going to be the core. That's what Paul says is the core of our faith. And I think there's a lot of good evidence for it. I mean, even as Anthony flew admitted when he was never became a Christian, but he said, I mean, the resurrection is that one miracle that has a lot more evidence than all other sorts of miracle claims. So, I mean, going through the evidence uh, for me, it's very clear that that is going to be the simplest explanation. Now, you know, you, I'll get atheists that say, yeah, but miracles are always the least probable. It's more extraneous. I mean, yeah, but I feel like that's more of a quality comparison. I'm interested in quantity of, of, of assumptions, quantity of explanations. And I think when it comes to the quantity, the resurrection explanation is going to be the simplest in terms of that. So again, it's, it's applying that same standards, explanatory scope, power, least ad hoc, plausibility, illumination. Now, when I say that, people kind of go like, okay, great. But like, you know, like, it, it you know, why be a Christian? And so what I kind of get from that is more of like the emotional aspect, like what if Christianity is true, what does this even mean? Like what is sort of going on here? And the other aspect of why I'm a Christian is I think it's the best explanation to humanity. Uh, why we are the way we are, what we need in life, the, what is driving us, what is going to be the most likely to call us to be the virtuous agents. We feel like we ought to be, what is going to drive us to be a good person and what's going to be the most fulfilling in terms of 
humanity's role in the universe, how we see ourselves, and if there's a God exists, how he would relate to us. I don't think Islam comes close. I don't think aspects of Hinduism come close. Um, I think Judaism gets there, but it's incomplete. It doesn't have the final chapter that brings everything the Old Testament is pointing to together. I think Christianity brings it together. And I, you know, recently, right now I'm reading Tom Holland's book, Dominion, and I'm just like, and he's an atheist. And I'm like, yes, the power of the story. I get what you're saying here, Tom. Like, that's it. It's this power, the power of the story of this, this pauper who was raised in the backwaters of Galilee, but he's also the creator of the universe. And he comes down, lives this depressing, sad life and dies the death we should die. It's, it's that power of the story that Holland is getting at that I think Christianity has that really ex- makes it excel in terms of worldviews. Um, yeah, that's well, that's really interesting. Do you do you think? Um, what do you think about like? I, I know I already know that you're going to be like it's going to make you like your stomach drop because I know like it's, if your brain works anything like mine, you just ugh, it's annoying. It's a so it's a yuck way of thinking about things. But what do you think about the idea that every religion? Let's say that. Let's say I don't believe this, um, but let's say spirituality exists or some form, and every religion around the world is somehow getting parts of the answers right, uh, and but there's a whole lot more we don't understand. So, like, let's say Christianity isn't necessarily um, true, but there are parts of it that are true. Hinduism's got some parts that are true. Um, Buddhism, the, the Jains. What do you think about like the mountain theory of God that we're all on this mountain going towards God, and and uh, there are paths on the way up. Uh, you know, th- that's sort of like the blind man and the elephant analogy. Like we're all like the blind man touching the elephant. We're all getting an aspect of it. You know, I, the problem with that analogy is like, as one is, as Leslie Newbigin pointed out, is it? it's, it's not written from the perspective of one of the blind men touching the elephant or one of the people climbing the mountains. It's written from the perspective of somebody who sees the whole picture and can tell us that. So it's, it's, criticizing the very thing it is also claiming to have, which is the truth. They can see that all the religions are just these different aspects of things. And really they're all just going in the same direction. I mean, it's, mm. it's setting so it's up a assuming, standard. It's, it's just, assuming that there's a full elephant. It is. And, it's just, it's, a, it's yeah. a presenting a standard. It doesn't even hold itself to. Mm. Could you still use that analogy to say though, like we're all touching something. We don't know what it is, but we're all describing it differently. And it's probably something that we don't understand. I mean, that's entirely possible. I, I understand where that's coming from. And, and of course, you, you know, it's hard to deny that you could find good things you like in the Quran. You can find good things you like in Buddhism. So, of course, you can say, yeah, there, there's there's some truth there and whatnot. I mean, no, it's hard to look at something and go, yes, that's entirely wrong. Everything I, in the, the teachings of Buddha, I hate. No, you're mm-hmm. not being honest. But I mean, like, if, that, if that's the case, it, it just leads me back to where I am at step you know, two, I guess you could say like, uh, well, I mean, yeah, you could, is there one religion though, that really has captured it, that really has something that's different. And, you know, when it comes to Christianity, you have the, the incarnation of Christ and the death and resurrection mm-hmm. of the God incarnate, the God, the God who leaves his throne and becomes a baby suckling for milk, like the rest of us living the life you know, that we all should have lived and dying the death, we all should have died. It, it's it's very interesting. You have all these religions of these trees that come down from heaven, and only in Christianity, you have God who comes down and says, you know, I'm going to show you how to live, and I'm going to give you something more that will really 
inspire you to be the good person you ought to be. It's that power of the story. You know, the, the, what's interesting about the Bible, and I'm building on Holland here, of course, is that it's this, there's a lot of stories in the Bible of the, the downtrodden, the slaves triumphing. I mean, that's, that's the Exodus story. This is, of course, Elijah uh, triumphing over the prophets of Baal. And then, of course, you have Jesus, who is dying the criminal's death and then rising from the dead to conquer death for the rest of us. It's that idea that God comes into the world and takes the experience of the downtrodden, the least of us, and says, this is who is going to rise up. That is mm. something that it's it's hard to see how that cannot inspire people to want to go out and do the good. You know, the Greeks had their stories of like Hercules, this big, powerful hero, hero slaying it. And most people are going to be like, I can never be like that, but I can be like Jesus. I can follow in his footsteps and go out and do the good he did. I don't have to be this almighty Caesar with armies behind my back. Mm-hmm. I, I, And that in itself motivates people to do good in ways that, as Tom Holland notes throughout history, just other faiths than other ideologies cannot do. Uh, um, yeah, I, I totally, I actually agree. When I read the Bible, I still get inspired um, and I still feel this like deep feeling um, deep, deep in my stomach of like this, you know, this powerful thing. I actually get the same thing when I read, have you ever read the Bhagavad Gita? A while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a translation I really like. Um by Eswaran. I'll, I'll send it. This one here. Uh, uh. Oh, okay. I don't remember uh, that one. That, the cover doesn't look like okay. the one I read. The uh, chapter nine, I remember sitting, uh, I was um, poolside in Bali with a few drinks in me, um, listening to it. Because um, Bali was a Hindu uh, island, majority of Hindu. I wanted to learn about Hinduism. So I was listening to it on an audiobook and chapter nine blew me away. Like chapter nine, just, it sounded like, I think it's stuff like I'm the beginning and the end. I am the flame and the thing that's being devoured by the flame. I am the stars in the sky and the, you know, it's like, it's, it sounds very Psalmish, very, and it was written 300 years after like Isaiah, I think it was. Um, so it's I've heard some like, people dated to like after Christ. I'm, I'm, I'd have to check on that. I remember there was a various date. Some were dating it to after Christ, though. I think. Okay, I think it's part. I, I looked it up last night because I thought it was actually 400 BCE, um, but I was wrong according to Wikipedia, which oh, we know well. is a fact. Yeah, we know it's, <laughs> it's absolute fact. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> unless you're talking about creation ministry um, today or whatever it's called, uh, Ken Hovind's. Uh, uh, um, yeah, so um, so you were saying that that uh, Christianity, for you, the story is really inspirational um, and, and things like that. Would you say, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's all your evidence or anything like that or that's mm-hmm. evidence for anything, but um, I'm wondering, I agree with you that it's that, taken at a certain perspective, it's quite inspiring. But I'm wondering how you get from that to what well, well, can you? Because I know you have logical evidence, rational evidence about looking through the histories and things like that and um, looking at the evidence of the empty tomb. I, I understand all those arguments. Well, mm-hmm. I don't, but I understand you have those arguments. Um, but I'm wondering, do those things get you to belief? Like, so just because something no. is, ins- is inspirational or, or fills a gap, does that mean it's true? No. And, you know, I, one scholar that's really inspired me is someone named N.T. Wright, Tom Wright. 
Uh, and he talks about this, like you have very conservative churches that really just sort of focus on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that's it. And you have very liberal churches that just say, well, let's not worry about that. Let's just focus on the power of the story and just go and do the good. And he says, you, you can't have one without the other. You got to you got to be you got to be doing both. You got to really be focusing on the fact that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And if he didn't, everything we're doing is in vain. Why care? Um, this is what Paul is really hitting at in First Corinthians 15. So, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I, if if. I came to believe the resurrection didn't happen. Uh, I would be more like a Tom Holland or Tim O'Neill type uh, uh, atheist, I guess you could say. I'd be more deist okay. perhaps. But, you know, I would be like, yeah, there's some really great stuff here. We can sp- be inspired by it. But it's just not true. It wouldn't – It would, but I mean then it just becomes like is that enough alone to really motivate humanity to do the good? Uh, mm. Tom Holland is kind of worried in some of his interviews that it, it just isn't. Uh, it need there needs to be that truth aspect underneath of it all, uh, but I mean again. So yeah, to answer, to bring that all back around, to answer your question. If I came to believe it wasn't true, I don't think the the very power of the story of the gospel would just be a story. I mean, it could motivate me to want to live a better life, but I don't think I would believe it to be true. I think you need those underlying truth claims, as Paul says. If Christ has not been resurrected, everything we're doing is in vain. Hmm. So would you? So you wouldn't find them inspirational if you didn't consider them to be true? No, I think I would still find them inspiration. I just don't think they'd be as powerful as they are because mm. it might. It, it, the The argument is is that Jesus rose from the dead and conquered death. This happened in history. It didn't happen in a private vision. It didn't happen uh, in, on the firmament. It happened here on earth, uh, and that inspired the apostles, the disciples, to go out and proclaim it in the face of persecution and suffering and to do something better than themselves. And without that, I don't think it would have happened. I I have a hard time seeing them actually going and doing that. If something did not actually happen, that would have inspired them to do that. Mm. I, I mean, I, I'm really wanting to learn your perspective, but, but I do want to push back a little bit on, on this, if that's okay. Um, What do you think about, um, so when someone someone's asked me that same thing, and I, I always retort back with, well, what about like Buddhists who literally die for their religion, like mm-hmm. setting themselves on fire as protest or, um, uh, you know, um, Islamic terrorism, for example, where they, they, they believe they, they have more faith than, than any Christian I've ever met. Um, and where do you draw the – how do you reconcile that where there are these other – I know – some Christians that I talk to would say they're demonically possessed or something, right? Um, uh, no, I wouldn't say are, that. No. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, that's why I'm interested in what you you think about that. If, if like, let's say these these early Christians were going out, they were getting killed, they were being um, persecuted by Rome, or uh, I could be wrong there, they're being persecuted. Um, and you're saying, well, it's hard for me not to believe that they they knew something. But then, at the same in the same token, there are other religions who where people are dying for their beliefs that you don't consider true. So, right. how do you and reconcile? I would. So, I understand that definitely many early Christians died, and many people that are not Christians die for their faith. But that's not what I was talking about. I'm talking about people who witnessed. Jesus rise from the dead, the, 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 the disciples, the 12, they, they saw him. And even from reading atheist scholars like Gerd Ludemann, uh, uh, they don't really fit the profile of these fanatics. They fit more of like these 
timid, scared people who were just sort of following Jesus because they were hoping he was going to bring the kingdom of Israel and he didn't. And all of a sudden they're transformed into the people that are ready to die for their faith. My my issue with this, and this is what a lot of other Christians like Mike Lacona or Habermas have pointed out, is that they would have known if this was true or not. They would have they would have been able to know that this was just like some sort of like eschatological experience or this was something they had made up or whatnot. And I'm not talking about the later Christians that converted and believed them and died for that faith, or that would be more comparable to the Buddhists that burned mm. themselves with the Muslim terrorist. I'm talking about the actual mm. original witnesses. It just seems as one part of the aspect of the resurrection argument, they don't fit the profile of those kind of people that would go out and do that as they would have been witnesses to what actually happened and would be able to know the truth or not. So that's what I was more trying to get at when I was talking about that. Okay. If, um, if I'm just pulling this out of nothing, right? So this isn't like a theory or anything, but let's say um, Jesus was an apocalyptic Jewish teacher, taught some wild theories that ended up being really cool. Some of them being really, really interesting. He would, let's, let's call him a philosopher, like using my hypothetical, really interesting um, concepts. He was put to death. People believed he was dead, but he wasn't dead. They stuck him in a tomb. He was maybe in a coma. He recovered miraculously or somehow in three days and came back to and, and come out of the tomb. People saw him. They didn't have our current understanding of medical science um, and things like that. They didn't understand he was in a coma or he was, he, he looked dead, but he wasn't dead. And then they were like, wow, he's risen from the dead. And then they built the stories. They, they continued the ministry, the stories around him um, based on that. Yeah. So, I get Once where you're again, coming from. Crap, crap theory. I've just pulled it out of nothing. I don't. I, this isn't like I haven't got like I a, a syllogism yeah. typed out or anything. But I'm just saying, like, let's say, could that be possible? I don't think so, based on the surrounding evidence. So, like, you're right. They didn't have the medical experience, but for some reason, they were able to get the right medical aspect of what happens when someone dies at crucifixion. Like John talking about the spear going in the side and water coming out. Because, but what we know about the medical experience of that right now is that that's what would happen. And no one survived crucifixion. And so it, it seems but, very but, unlikely that he would have survived that. That's called the swoon, swoon theory. And as far okay. as I'm aware, no scholars take that now is that Jesus, when he died, he died on the cross. The Romans would not have let him live. And it, I, interestingly enough, also helped supporting that, that they were actually recording what happened. Was John talks mm. about the spear going in the sudden water coming out. That's something mm. that you would not have gotten unless you would have understood the medical aspect of what's going on there. Do you, do you subscribe to the dates of John being like the last gospel written in 95 CE? Eh, so, somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how come like it's it seems to me like th- this could be once again pulling it over pulling it out anywhere that Mark Mark had the least amount of details it seemed in this and I mentioned this in my history of Christianity or history of um the Bible video which I spent about 6 months on it's got like 200 views which is great. Um so, <laughs> it's so, hey, it's you YouTube, put no, man. Yeah. You put no work into another video and it just blows up. And you're like, oh, how? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's got more views now. So it's starting to pick up. But in, and then I talk about how, you know, Mark doesn't seem to have as much information as, as as John. Is it possible that they were just trying to fill in the gaps? Because because they were trying to, um, they were trying to, you know, make this, more believable to so like they created they wrote, they wrote an account and people were like no i saw him they speared him in the side and they, they wrote this down I'm like okay this is what happened this is from i think john even says this is from testable these are from people who were there right is it john mm-hmm. that says that 
Yeah. Yeah, so something like that. Possible that, exactly. that it's just a form of them trying to convince them because it wasn't mentioned in Mark, was it? Or, or Matthew or Luke that he was stabbed in the side. Well, this seems like kind of like a, a false dichotomy. I mean, like if, if something really happened and you were trying to convince them, like you would, you would add more details as you go along. Like, let's say like you were in a car accident and then the guy got out of the car because he was drunk and he beat you up and you, mm-hmm. then he drove off. So it was a hit and run and you tell the cops and then the cops come back to you and you're like, you know, we're not really sure about your story. And you're like, no, no, I have more details. Like he was wearing a red shirt. He had a scar on his forehead. Like he was a little bit gray mm-hmm. hair. Like, you know, just because people are adding more details over time, doesn't mean they're making it up. They could be trying to say like, well, let's give you some more to, to really show that this story actually happened. Then it becomes mm-hmm. a question of internal evidence. Is what they're showing aligning with what we would expect the internal evidence to show? Like, are we getting aspects of that would align with oral traditions uh, that, you know, like, are they writing in a way that would fit with that culture? Uh, like I just, I'm doing a video at the end of this month where I'm going to talk about one thing they got right. That would have been very weird if they wouldn't have. Like at one point, Jesus is talking about the Shamite tradition of washing cups, but after 70 AD or CE, that tradition went out because Halalites came into Galilee and then that sort of Shamite tradition sort of faded away and died out. So they would have had to have gotten that tradition from before 70 AD. And so like little details like that, I mean, that's like one of like a hundred I could give, but little of those sort of start to add up and you start to go like, well, are they making things up to fill in the details? Are they adding in details because they really think this is true and they really want people to believe. So they're just trying to give more. Mm. Okay. Um, okay. But 65 years after the, like if I got beaten up and, and like I'm, I'm only pushing back because it's interesting. I'm not. I'm not trying to say um, you're an idiot, Michael. I mean, you're a philosophy <laughs> major, and like I'm at all right. I'm like, like you. you I'm amazed that you're like. I, I wish I could study philosophy in, at university. There's none in Australia that I like. But um, <laughs> let's say I was beaten up. I was. I was taken out of um, uh, out of my car and and stuff. And then someone asked me to recount this information, even a year later, two years, later, three years, five years later. And they said, "Did the person kick your tire when they come past?" Well. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they, they may have. Or, or let's say, um, you know, or I'm, I'm really trying to convince them that the beating was bad. Did they? How many times did they hit you? Well, like, uh, I guess they hit me five times. Or did they have something in their hand? Uh, they could have. Yeah, they, they could have had a, a knife. I, I don't know. And like, you know, ask me five years after 10, 20, 30, 65 years is when John was dated. Sixty-five years after the accounts of when it's trying to. I, I think that's correct, right? Right. Yeah. And something about that. Yeah, yes, yeah, like, you know, give or take 50 years. But, um, you know, give or take a lot. <laughs> I'm saying a lot of jokes that I'm realizing are Aussie humor that you're not, you're not picking up. Yeah. It's um, it's, so you know, that's, a long, that's a long time. Um, is it possible there, that, yeah, yeah. just to you push know, back on that. Well, just, you know, there's, there's two types of people in this world when it comes to jokes. There are, there are Americans and there are people who are wrong. So That's good. That's good. So just remember that. Uh, so okay. like now, so yeah, so I, I understand where you're coming from, from the 65 years, but I, I also want to push back on that a little bit. So there, though, you know, about, there was a guy named Paul Tidbits who wrote a book called the flight of the Enola gay. And he was the guy that dropped the atomic bomb on Japan. Now he wrote that book in like 1989. Like that's not 65, but you're talking like some 44 years later. So it's a, it's a pretty far away off. Do we think he's giving us pretty good information based on his experience? 
I would say yes. And the reason here's one just a priori reason. This is something that was life changing for him, for the world. It would have it would have stuck in his memory like a, a sore thumb for years. And it was for a lot of these World War II vets. They, they remembered their experiences very well. Uh, we watched the recent series, I think, on HBO about the Pacific War, about these guys that fought on Peleliu and Okinawa. And like, you know, these were things that changed their life, fighting these horrible battles. And they remember details that, you know, you're not going to remember when it, you're just eating your lunch, you know, 10 years ago. Mm. Because these are life-changing type things. And I think they're going to get a lot of things right because of how strong they are. Take something from the ancient world, the assassination of Caesar. Well, there's a lot of accounts of that. Now, in those accounts, if you're going to read like Suetonius uh, versus some of the other authors, like um, Plutarch, for example, you'll find differences in them on reporting that. Now, they weren't even eyewitnesses, and they're reporting differences. But I think we can agree Caesar was assassinated, and that was a life-changing event for the eyewitnesses that told the stories and went on. And even though you could get some things wrong, like, you know, who stabbed him first, or did Caesar say this or say that, we can still agree that something happened. Uh, and the, the core of the events are right. So I think that's the same thing when it comes to Jesus' resurrection. You could say that maybe you don't remember how many times he would, you know, when you're the example you're giving, you don't remember how many times he punched you, three or four, but you know what happened and you know something definitely happened there. And so I think we, the de- if, even if there's like little details wrong, as it is with every experience, every recall back, they're still going to get the core of the events right. And it's very likely they're getting it from a real historical event, not something they're going to make up. And if they did, it would be far more fanciful, Far, I think, far different than what it is in terms of the biographical way it's being written. But in relation to my crap theory, where he falls into a coma and comes out, I, I guess, I guess, where I'm trying to go is, um, you know, obviously, as a, I'm going to call you a philosopher. As a philosopher, you um, just call me a philosophizer. A philosophizer, okay. Um, you would, uh, you know, you would know um, David Hume and his um, his perspective of, you know. Um, what is what is more likely? Um, you know, the, um, the that someone rose from the dead, and or that there was people were mistaken. Um, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on on that approach? Like, like I'm I'm just giving some crap perspective. Um, you know, I, I could mean, easily just have said Jesus had a twin brother that no one knew about, or something just as stupid. But I mean, what's more, I would like? agree. I mean, I would agree with the book Hume's Abject Failure that that's just sort of begging the question in a lot of ways. It was written by John Ehrman, who's an atheist. But I mean, like, yeah, I, I would agree that the resurrection in this case, given the circumstantial evidence, given the background knowledge, it is far more likely that Jesus rose from the dead than someone just lied. Because one, it's, le- it's less ad hoc, there's less assumptions, there's more plausibility I can draw on there. Uh, and so now again, on the surface, I would be like, yeah, you know, given what we've only talked about here today, it's more likely that someone just made a mistake and lied. But when you go into a lot of the evidence, you go into the detail after detail. Okay, then what about this aspect? What about the background knowledge? Mm. The lack of, you know, resur- the whole N.T. Wright's 800-page book called The Resurrection of the Son of God, where he goes into the background knowledge and whatnot about the lack of Jewish rising, dying and rising messiahs. It just eventually, I just get to the point, like, given all this evidence, it, the resurrection is, explanation is just simpler. And I mean, okay. I'm not going to do that from just the things we talked about here. I'm talking like, you know, this data point, this data point, this data point. And I'm not even going to build that unless I've already built a case for the reliability of the New Testament. So essentially to say all that, I'll say, yeah, I will bite the bullet on that kind of David Human thing and say, yeah, I do think it's more likely Jesus rose from the dead than they lied because given the all the circumstantial evidence. And let me give an analogy. You know, like let's say you and I were aliens and we just showed up on Earth and someone told us, 
we've been to the moon once. Okay. And we would be like, well, you guys are really primitive technology here. I don't see a lot of spacecraft going to the moon. Are you sure someone just didn't record it in a studio somewhere? I mean, we see these studios everywhere. We see you guys making videotapes everywhere. How do you know it wasn't just made up? One time? I mean, given that yeah. surface level reading of the moon landing, you could say it's, it seems far more likely that someone just made it up because you could see mm-hmm. these moon studio sets everywhere. But when we get into a lot of the evidence for the moon landing, you know, the fact that the Russians could have debunked it, the fact that they put something on the moon that could be reflected by astronauts, the fact that other countries picked up the radio signals, the fact that, you know, the technology at the time knows we couldn't fake it. You're going to go, okay, yeah, we did go to the moon. That's it. That's the same kind of analogy I'm getting it for the resurrection on a surface level understanding, just looking at the background knowledge, you'd go, okay, I guess a studio sounds more likely, but when you get into all the circumstantial evidence, you go, no, it's not. Okay. So what you're saying is you want, to both fly out to a boardroom somewhere, get a couple of bottles of scotch and live stream us and we'll solve the problem. We'll go through all the evidence, we'll get pins, we'll get bits of strings out and we'll we'll just we'll just crack the case. I'll be there as like the uh, playing devil's advocate, like going, oh, can you really pull that string to try there and we'll just solve it for the world. I mean, I would be... I would be all for that. I mean, you got to give me a couple of days or a couple of weeks to prepare and get all my notes together. But I mean, like I could... Stream. I mean, it would honestly, it might take that long because yeah, I know. That, that's a good thing because you shouldn't have a worldview built on like A, B, and C. You should have a worldview built on A through Z, then A1 through Z2, then A3 through Z3. And you should have all of these things working together. And yeah. that's why I have a channel where I'm trying to go through it all. And it's my, the ch- my, my cumulative case is what I'm putting out on my channel. Yeah. Your, your channel somewhere falls in the line of you've got to really focus and you don't have, and it's, it's easy to digest. It's somewhere in between that. And that's what I really like about your content you. is that you, you clearly have a media background because you can hold people's attention and explain really complex issues really simply. Um, and I just wanted to mention too, back when I was a Christian, I um, woke up one morning, I was at a friend's house. And for some reason, I had all this random anxiety about creationism and evolution and i'd never really looked into the subject except for like 10 years prior and i watched the uh, answers in genesis video and i was like i need to rethink about this um in the future and i remember looking it up on the couch at their house waiting for my friend to get up and i came across your video and it was the video where you mentioned um seven days that divided the world the book by oh, um, yeah and i was like this and i felt my anxiety just leave i was like okay you can there are ways to reconcile these worldviews um and i actually bought the book and i never read it and then years later i was like who was that guy and i was and i was looking around on youtube for ages and then the first thing i recognized was your voice and i was like you have a very distinct voice and i found your video and i was like yes and that's when i subscribed to your channel when i you know years later when i i've gone through all my study and stuff like that or you know, my process. Well, that's good. Um, I hate, I hate my voice, but I'm glad it helped in some way. Oh, really? Uh, you got I, you a know, distinct voice. Everybody hates their own voice. And like when I, when I, when you, the way you sound in your head is always deeper than how you sound. So when I hear myself on video, I'm like, Oh, Oh, I just, I wish I sounded like I sounded in my head. Do you want me to like pitch down your voice for this interview? I'll like, I'll crank it. So you sound like a dry. I want to, I want to sound like Barry White. Okay. Okay. I'll Look, no promises, but I'll try and make it happen. All right, um, good. Well, we're running out a little bit of time here, but um, I thought we could move on to the question and the answers, uh, if that's okay. Yeah, um, sure. We have, unless there's something else you want to bring up. Um, nope. ah, cool. Um, I have 11 questions, and um, some of these 
Um, people wrote in some questions on Reddit. Um, I didn't say who you were. I just said I'm interviewing a um, philosophy student who's a Christian who's really, really good with apologetics. Also on Twitter and also some of my personal friends who I knew would um, get some enjoyment from this interview. And I'll reword some of their questions, so I, ho- I hope they make sense. They'll pop up on the screen and I'll read them out as well. So okay. the first one, uh, what are your thoughts on the early Christian theology, um, i.e. Gnostics, Marcionites, Evionites? Yeah, I, well, I mean, it depends. I mean, well, there wasn't one group of Gnostics. Gnostics is sort of like a category. We categorize a bunch of early groups uh, like Canaanites or the, for example, uh, I mean, I think a lot of those, there's a good evidence they come in second century AD, maybe late first century AD. And there's, they sort of come out of trying, like Gnosticism really comes out of trying to like merge Christianity with like a lot of Greek thought doesn't really fit with what a Jewish rabbi of the first century would be saying. Marcy and Marcionites definitely don't since they make, they get, they're anti the Semites and they get rid of all of that. Uh, and then even, evenites, I feel like they're, they're missing a lot of, um, there's a lot of limited information on them, and I, and I feel like there's a, they're missing a lot of stuff that really supports their view. But again, these are these are all all various different sects, and it would take a while to go into all of them. But yeah, I, I have looked into a lot of them, and I, I Gnosticism being the most in the various sects in there, and I just feel like there's just a lot of data that just doesn't really support their views. Have Have you read Bart Ehrman's book Lost Christianities? No, I've not. Uh, it's It's really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, cool. Next question. Uh, to what extent do you believe God can be posited through reason? Well, I mean, I mean the, the philosopher's side on me is coming out going, I need you to find what you mean by posited and what do you mean by reason? Uh, just to sort of get this as best I can. I mean, I feel like we can understand that there is a God exists and that uh, we can know many of the qualities and aspects of them. I mean, just read Richard Swinburne, for example, and how he goes through this and the reasoning he applies to them and whatnot. I feel like there's a lot we can get to. I don't think there is, I don't take like a Kantian view when it comes to that kind of stuff that we're sort of divorced from the noumenal. I feel like we can have a good understanding of what's sort of going on there to, to, to a large extent, but of course there's always going to be details and doubt in there that we can't fill in. Okay. Do you, um, I, I have to ask this just randomly. Do you, um, do you do you struggle with doubt? Like, do you ever have moments where you wake up and you're like, "Oh man, what am I? What if what if everything I believe is wrong?" Do you ever have moments yes. like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I I, I have those all the time. I probably I've had that this week. I mean, this is why I don't I don't encourage Christians to have their faith based on some emotional experience or something because. The, what I go back to is I go back to the resurrection argument. I go back to the arguments for God's existence and I go back to the atheist responses that I've read. And I just feel like it's not the simplest explanation. I feel like there's a lot of problems with them. I've gone through this hundreds and hundreds of times. And what I always go back to being the foundation of my faith is the fact that I feel the evidence supports it and I run through it. And, you know, I have those moments of doubt where I'm like, I got to read Oppie or I've got to read Ehrman again and just try to make sure that, they don't have a better explanation and every, or I, I'll go and I'll listen to some atheist channel and I'll be like, again, I can respond this way, this way. And I don't think you're offering the simple, and you're not, you're setting up a double standard with the, the burial of Jesus here, where the evidence you use mm. for the Jesus was left on the cross is not applied to the evidence to show Jesus was buried double standard. I'm not convinced again. So, you know, it's, that's the foundation of my faith. So yeah, I have doubts all the time and I think those are healthy. I think humans need to accept that that's just the way we are. Well, actually, having doubts means that you're wrong about everything. Um, oh, okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think everyone has doubts. Um, 
I'd be concerned if, if people didn't have doubts. Um, I think they call it delusion and you get locked up. I think they're lying um, if they say they don't. Exactly. That's a good point. Uh, so you use Occam's Razor, I'd imagine. Um, you like you subscribe to Occam's Razor. I'm, I'm not a violent person. I don't carry knives. Good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the whiskey. Maybe the whiskey is finally catching up to both of us and we can, yeah. we can jam on the same stupid jokes. All right. Uh, okay. Next question. Uh, how do you know Jesus is God and when the Bible accounts for other, when the Bible accounts for other people who were also resurrected or taken to heaven? Okay. So, I mean, I don't know I don't if that think, lines up like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll do the no. second part first. I mean, I don't think resurrections, the only resurrection that happens in the Bible is Jesus. There are resuscitations. People come back to life like Lazarus comes back to life, but he's going to die again. You know, he doesn't have the resurrected body. Resurrection is something specific in the New Testament. It's you come back to life in a glorified body that's now immortal and has new uh, abilities. So it's a little different. How do I know Jesus is God? Uh, In a lot of ways, he claimed to be. And he said, I will prove this. This is who I am with my resurrection. We'll verify that I have this power. And so he is, again, it's very different than Lazarus coming back. Uh, he's coming back in a new glorified body in that sense. And again, the way Mark, for example, writes about Jesus, he's very much writing about Jesus as if he's Yahweh. So as he goes through, you know, this story of Jesus, that story of Jesus, he's always writing in a way to parallel passages in the Old Testament, Yahweh. Like one of my favorites is when Mark talks about Jesus calming the sea he's doing that in a way to really parallel the psalms about yahweh who has got control over the waters and the sea and he will set his foot on the sea and calm and whatnot and so i mean very early in mark i think it's very clear he's he's writing in a way to make jesus as god oh actually that that goes really well into our next question um why do you think judaism hasn't accepted jesus as the messianic figure as you know there, there's a lot of jews lately that have been coming to Christ, which I've been really happy about. I just did a podcast recently with two Messianic Jews uh, on Christmas is Pagan on their, on their channel. And so like, and they they were talking to me about how there's, they're seeing a lot of that change now. So this is great for one stance. Why don't I think they've come? I mean, you know, they're, I don't, I don't like judging people groups. I it's individuals. Yeah. And you, no, could, I you, agree s- with that. you know, you could say there's a lot of reasons why, you know, this Japanese man hasn't accepted Christianity or this Chinese man hasn't accepted Christianity. I don't think it's people groups. Well, I, I let, think we need to look at individuals. Let me, can I rephrase it for you then? Um, mm-hmm. Why do we still have Judaism? Wouldn't well, I they, think for this, wouldn't they, re, wouldn't they read the, wouldn't, wouldn't anyone who understands the scriptures, wouldn't they have that point to Jesus? Yeah. I don't, I don't agree with the, a lot of the Christian apologetics that the old Testament always is pointing to Jesus. I mean, Paul in verse Corinthians chapter one says, if the archons had known, they would not have crucified the Messiah. That is, it's very strongly implying that the Old Testament is vague on purpose. So no one would know what was going to happen so that it could happen according to God's plan. It was very much these things are, we're we're keeping some things on uh, secret until you see it. And then you'll, then we can get the real plan going here. So I don't take this idea that the Old Testament clearly is like, oh, obviously you can't get around it. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's just I disagree with other Christians on that. But that's for me reading Paul. And so I don't agree with that idea that you're going to necessarily get that. I think looking back, you can see God working and pointing to Christ in this way. But it's not going to be it's not going to be as specific as some Christians think it is. OK. Um, why can we trust the gospel accounts? Uh, because. Just believe it, bro. 
<laughs> you just gotta feel it, bro. <laughs> it feels. I good, mean, man. there's a there's a lot of evidence. I would say you gotta look at internal, external evidence. Are they getting things right? Like Colin Hammer, for example, uh, goes through like the last chapters of Acts and notes that Luke gets so many little details right. It's hard for him to have been making this up. Uh, Craig Blomberg goes through the Gospel of John, mentions all these facts that are just someone could not have made up unless they were an actual eyewitness or they were actually writing actual history there. Uh, you can read Craig Keener's book, Christ to Biography, the idea that in that ancient world, you would not have written a biography about somebody uh, that would have been fiction if you're writing within the, the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. That just didn't happen. If, if the Gospels did that, they were the exception to the role. Uh, you had fictional accounts of people written. They were written long after that person died and after all of his eyewitnesses would have died. Uh, it, and he mentions a lot of good evidence that these are biographies, that they are writing, trying to write history or whatnot. You can look at evidence of oral traditions that what they're writing the Gospels down, they're preserving oral traditions. They write in a way that is called a parallelis mesbambarum. So it's writing in a way that sort of is almost like poetic in the way you speak. And that ancient rabbis would do that so people would memorize their things. Jesus talked in all sorts of certain ways so that memorization would happen. And that's what we see in the Gospels. Society. They're preserving the words of an oral rabbi. And so there's all these little details are adding up over time. I think there's plenty of good reason to say these are written about historical sources. Now, again, it's never one of those little things. It's got to be a cumulative case. And if it isn't, I don't, I don't see any way you could, you would work. There's got to be a lot of evidence pointing it from different directions. I talk about some of that in my New Testament reliability series. And I think in a year or so, I'm going to start going back to that and start doing a much longer series on that. Cool. Um, are there historical sources outside of the New Testament about Jesus and the first Christians? I mean, there are some here and there. I mean, you have Josephus mentioning some things. You have Tacitus mentioned some things. You have uh, Celsus, for example, mentioning some things that he confirms all. Like he confirms that the only four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, he confirms some things like, you know, that the women discovered the tomb. He just, you know, he just, you know, because he, he doesn't, he's a skeptic and he's trying to throw everything he can against Christianity. So he's a very valuable source when it comes to that. Uh, you can see some things in Lucian. Uh, so there's little things confirmed here and there, but there's not going to be a lot because a lot of these people were not. You know, they, they, they were, you know, Tassus, for example, is mentioning it in, in conjunction with the Nerean persecution. So he's focusing on some other things, but he mentioned some things along the way. Uh, hypothetically, if you're convinced that God commanded immorality in the Bible, would that give you cause to evaluate your faith or reevaluate your faith? It should say. Uh, yeah, but you also have to remember I hold a virtue ethics, so I think there's a lot of circumstances that need to apply when we study ethics. I'm not a Kantian anymore, so I, I, when people say like, you know, God commanded this, okay, well, what are the circumstances? Like you got, okay. you, I'm very much Aristotelian when it comes to this fashion, so that's going to be a harder nail to crack on me, I guess. And, and I have thought a lot about that too. So, uh, uh yeah. It, but, uh, go, go, go. What are you saying? But yeah, I was going to, so like, uh, I don't know. I lost my train of thought there. So go on. Sorry. I was going to, I was going to say, it seems very much like, um, like a lot of people in our church used to say that the, the teachings on women preaching in church were just for a time and a place. Is that kind of a similar perspective when it comes to morality where you say, okay, they did say to go murder these, you know, people, the Midianites or whatever, but that was just because of X. Is that like, are you saying that? I, I would say that could be definitely be part of it. I do think there's a lot of cultural context in there. So 
the idea that you've seen a lot of like Egyptian war annals, this idea they utterly annihilated everybody and there was no one left standing. And really that's just exaggerated language. Uh, same in, what is that book called? Yeah. Daily life in ancient Mesopotamia by Karen Rain and She talks about how in Sumerian annals, they talk about, they wouldn't, they utterly decimated this entire people. And then the Sumerians would come back and say, and we brought these many people back as slaves. Wait, I thought you said you utterly annihilated them. What are you bringing people back as slaves for? So it's like, some of it can be sort of ancient Near Eastern war language. And I think we're missing the cultural context on that. A, a great book would be John Walton's book, The Lost World of the Israelite Conquest. Okay. Um, I have a, a second um, thing I want to mention. Can you please get a Goodreads account? Because like I went looking for you and I want to see what you're reading and, and, and see your review. Like, please, please. Like you've, you've mentioned about 17 books. That, that, like people are going to have to write them down. If you could just had them in one legal list, people could just, you know, oh, he's, he's reading this, reading it. Like, come on, man. It's- I'll try. It's, I just don't have time to do another thing. Like I'm just busy. Maybe after I graduate, I can do that. Look, all right. Do, do, I'll, I'll do it for you. Okay. Take a photo of your bookshelf. <laughs> I'll set up an account for you. I'll give you all the information and then we'll just call it, right? Which bookshelf? That one, wait, so that one, that one, the one I have in my bedroom, the one on my nightstand, the one I have on my computer because I'm trying to do more ebooks now to so save space. Like, which one? Send me a photo of all of it. I'll do it all for you. <laughs> Honestly, I think it would be, it would do the world of good for your, uh, your fan base, uh, your community, because y- you have so many good references. Like I've written down two already and I'm going to have to go back and listen to the, the audiobook because yeah, I, I looked for you last night. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta know these books I'm reading because they're just, they're just so I'll try. All right. Let me know if you need a hand with that. Cause I will, I will help you out with that. Um, all right. Do you do you trust the accounts of other religions? Depends. It depends on like it's a case by case basis. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, I think a lot of the. I mean, I'm okay with saying that. I mean, I don't see that as entirely contradicting my worldview. I mean, I could very much be believe the idea that Muhammad spoke to an angel, a bad one. Uh, it's like, I don't have to take this idea that it's like, it's all has to be that way. If there's good evidence, Muhammad spoke to an angel. Okay. That doesn't necessarily mean it was a good one. Uh, but I mean, I but feel like there's a lot of, go ahead. If you're comparing, if you're comparing, um, if you're comparing the angel to what you believe angels are, because you're, you're believing the accounts written in the Bible, like you're starting from a perspective where you're going, okay, well, the Bible says angels and God does X, Y, Z because the Bible says so. I'm going to believe what the Quran says. The Quran says X, Y, Z. You know, like how do you how do you work that out? Because like you have to well, choose one to start with, right? Well, for one, I would start. There's other. There's a couple ways I could do it. For one, I could say there's a lot of good evidence for the resurrection. There's a lot of good evidence for Christianity. There's more evidence for that than Muhammad's visions being real. Another way I could do about it, and this is the way I do it, is I start with moral reasoning. I would say, look, I'm not this idea that we have to have divine revelation to know what's good. I think we can know that rape is wrong from moral reasoning, uh, same way that Aristotle could know certain things are wrong from moral reasoning. And then I can say, well, let's see what's happening in the Quran. Oh, my God. This does not seem like it matches what is morally the right way to live. I don't think you should be marrying a nine-year-old and consummating the marriage and doing all these other horrible things. This doesn't seem like it came from a good source. And I think even some, no, it's in one of the hadiths, but I could say that I could feel like you could look at the whole worldview of of Islam and say, I don't know if this is really coming from a good source. I I would agree with you. I, 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 um, I just said it because I I read the Quran. I read, um, 
Abdel Halem's translation, um, who is a is a professor of it, is an English translation, and and I was quite blown away. I, I thought it was quite beautiful. Um, however, mm-hmm. I found yes. some parts disgusting, um, yeah. but I, I found some parts in the Bible disgusting, and there's ways to reconcile that as well, obviously. So what mm-hmm. I did is, um, my first video is I actually created a Google spreadsheet, and I and I no no not Google spreadsheet Google um quiz, and I put it on my Facebook, and and I wanted to see if people could tell the difference between a Quran verse or a Bible verse. And uh, people could people I take out like the word Allah or, or Jesus or God whatever and I, and I put in problematic verses and good and I mix it all mixed up and stuff and it was really interesting to see that most people unless they were like youth pastors or something or if they were Quranic um, scholars or something that I had a few people do that they couldn't tell and it, I found mm. it really interesting because. Um, you know, both of them would be saying that the others is the word of the devil or something, and the others is the inspired word of God. And they couldn't tell, a lot of people just couldn't tell the difference. I mean, um, I would also push back because I'd be like, what's the context? Because I see atheists sometimes mm-hmm. saying, well, Jesus said, I came to bring a sword, not peace. And I'm like, can we look at the context of that? Because I feel like <laughs> yeah. you're taking that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I came to bring uh, a gun, not a um Oh, Sorry. We, we, we Sorry. all know Jesus and George Washington fought off the Romans with AK-47s and then set up the Constitution. Yeah. Exactly. And the zombies. Um, <laughs> all right. Next question. Uh, only three more questions. Uh, if we use miracles to explain something, um, some of the supernatural events of the Bible, why can we not use them for events like the Jaredites, Lehites, and Malachites sailing to America, Mormonism? Well, okay. Because it's <laughs> there's a lot there. For one thing, the internal evidence of the, of, the, of the Book of Mormon just doesn't match up. They said they had horses, they had metal weapons, they saw all sorts of – my favorite thing is I remember one time reading a Mormon apologist saying, well, maybe the horses were tapirs. That's what they just – they just called them horses because mm. that's what they knew, which is hilarious because you got to think that there were ancient Jews in Mesoamerica riding armies of – riding armies riding tapirs in the battle, and it's like – Wow, they were able to tame to peers and ride them that we can't even do today. Interesting. But <laughs> so, can we just say it's all a miracle that they all, all the horse armor and skeletons disappeared after um, America was founded? I mean, yeah, but then you start you go back to the criterion of being at least ad hoc, and you start to make it more <laughs> ad hoc. And you know, uh, it's like, man, yeah, I just, I would say, look, there's a lot of miracles in the Bible. I can't argue for again the 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 basis of our faith is the, is the basis of our faith is the resurrection. And that's yeah. what Jesus said, that I will, this, this is what I will use to show who I am and that you can trust us or trust me. Sorry. I was thinking tr- Trinitarian there. Right, right. All right. Well, just feel it, bro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are the best arguments for the existence of God? Uh, and then what are the best arguments against the existence of God, in your opinion? So I think the best arguments for God's existence would be, one, the argument from consciousness, because you you don't have to worry about the heart, gets around the hard problem of consciousness, which is a conundrum for naturalists. like very big issue. Uh, our argument I use digital physics or the emergent universe argument. I think there's a lot of hard issues there for atheists to get around when it comes to what's the underlying ontology of our reality, especially with all the new modern advances in science now, as well as the moral argument. I think if you can, if, if you're a moral realist, it's very hard to get past the idea that there's got to be some sort of necessary personal force there. Best arguments against God's existence, of course, go back to the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. I think the problem of suffering and natural evil is going to be the hardest one. I don't think divine hiddenness is a good argument because I feel like it's just the the argument from religious experience in reverse. It's like, you know, someone from religious experience comes up and they go, I've experienced Jesus and therefore he's real. And the divine hiddenness argument is, is I've not, therefore he's not real. 
And you can say, but people have formulated that in a, a strong way. But people have actually formulated arguments for religious experience as well. I just feel like they're two sides of the same coin. So I think the best arguments against God's existence would be evil and suffering, of course. Uh, and the best arguments for God's existence would be moral, conscious, co- new cosmological style arguments that are more idealistic. Cool. I believe, um, I think the argument from divine hiddenness is one of Matt Dillahunty's favorite um, arguments, <sighs> I believe. You, I, I find I've it seen- incredibly unconvincing on so many ways. I just, again, it's like religious experience in reverse to me. Hmm. I enjoyed your um, your discussion. I don't think I only watched half of it, but it was for preparation for this interview. But your discussion with Matt Dillahunty, um, I think you had like a live debate or something. Oh yeah, uh, together. Yeah, that that was interesting. That was he gave um, me he he was I was so he gave me so many premises, and I was like, I even heard from atheists after that said, "I'm sorry for the way I would have done better." Or we he should have prepared more. And I was like, "It's okay, I understand." Yeah, um, I, I don't remember too much about it, but it was interesting nonetheless. I think you you use both. Um, well, as far as I remember, neither of you. I wasn't scratching my head at neither of you. I was going, okay, I can see. You. I think I can see your perspective. Okay, <laughs> this is the last uh, last uh, question, uh, and it's the question that was asked to Ken Ham and Bill Nye um, when they had their famous debate, which really was a big kick 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 off for me. Um, which is what evidence or argument? Would you need to change your mind? Nothing, bro. I feel it. <laughs> yeah, feel it, bro. Yeah, that's, that's what that's what Ken Ham basically said. <laughs> yeah. What I need, to, I mean, for first you'd have to deconvert me from. So I mean, I, I look at this in sort of layers. Like so, yeah. You know, like it, first you got to deconvert me from Christianity, and I feel like I need a naturalistic explanation for the resurrection that's less ad hoc. And uh, I've been around this block um, hundreds of times now, and I just feel like there just isn't. Uh, but I mean, that, that doesn't mean someone could come up with something. Maybe we'll find more evidence in the future. Maybe they'll, we'll find some more documents that really start to put the nail in Christianity. Uh, you know, I mean, finding a, a tomb, like a burial box that says Jesus of Nazareth on it would be very, would really shake my faith. Uh, because now we have a burial, a, bar, a first century burial box that's with the cultural context and Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus, son of Joseph. It's written on it that fits in the right area, fight to culture. Something like that, I, it, you know, it, something like that would definitely start to change my mind. Uh, get me away from God's existence. I don't know a gram op, a very cogent gram oppy style argument for naturalism. Uh, but even then, I'd probably still be more like a Tom Holland or a Tim O'Neill type atheist. Like Christianity is not true, but it's done a lot of good for the world. So I don't think I'd ever be like an anti-theist, just because the historical facts. Are, so strong in that sort of in that at least that area, but change my mind. It, it'd be that kind of stuff. Those kind of layers sort of breaking things down and whatnot. Hmm. And that is why I like you, Michael, because you actually have a reasonable answer to that. And uh, a lot okay. of people like Ken Ham and stuff will say, well, no, no. well, actually that's Ken Hoven's voice. No, no one's going to change my mind. Or the Bible is the word of God. So, yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, um, <clears throat> so I really like that about you, Michael. And I, I hope that a lot of people um, go to your channel and find it interesting, whether they're um, d- d- despite their, um, their, their religious views or not. Um, and uh, I really think for this interview, it's been Awesome. And uh, thank you for coming on. And hopefully we can do something like this again in the future. Um, and I can maybe press press a bit harder on some of the um on some of the questions. Or maybe I'll maybe I'll pick one from this interview and we can deep dive. Or maybe you have some questions for me. Um either way, I'd happy to do this again. Uh, thank you for coming on, everyone, and make sure you check out Michael's uh channel. Uh links in the description as always. And yeah. Cheers. Cheers.